This is Everything Elite, the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to all elite wrestling and the elite extended universe. I'm Aaron Bentley. I'm one of your hosts on this show, and I am joined, as always, by my good friend, Mike Spears. What's up, Mike? Hey, y'all. It's your old pal, Mike Spears. I'm doing just fine. We had a whole bunch of storms come through the mountains, and it's been seasonably cool. It's actually been like in the 50s over the last few days, which has been kind of cool up here in the foothills of the Appalachians. But other than that, you know, we have a big week ahead of us. I mean, I hope everyone has their phones ready for noon tomorrow. I mean, I know I do. How are you looking forward to that, Aaron? Very excited. I'm mostly excited that you correctly pronounced it Appalachians. Uh, very glad to hear that. That means we can continue to do the show together. <laughs> I mean, I've lived here for off and on for 10 years. If I can't say Appalachian, right, I should be taken out back and shot. I couldn't agree more. We are also joined by Nate, a.k.a. Epitasis. What's up, Nate? Hey, guys. Um, nothing's up. Just ready to talk about wrestling. All right. Great introduction. That's all I got. This, I got. this is a show about wrestling, so that's good. There you go. If you like talk about wrestling, make sure you're following us on Twitter at everything AEW. You can follow me at Aaron like the car. Nate is at Epitasis, and Mike is at Fuji Heya with two eyes like Don Fuji. So make sure you're following all of us and subscribe to the show. You can subscribe to our independent feed, uh, Everything Elite, on the podcast app of your choice, or you can also subscribe to the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network and get our show along with all the other shows on the network. If you're using Apple Podcasts, rate and review the show. We would appreciate it. Five stars only. Five stars only. We would appreciate it. Uh, here's what we're going to talk about. We've got some all-out discussion. Mike mentioned a little bit earlier that tickets are going on sale tomorrow. We're going to discuss that. And by tomorrow, I mean Friday. We're doing, recording this late Thursday night. We're going to talk what we know about Fighter Fest, which is the next show that's coming up. Uh, I thought there was a little interesting note about how Dustin Rhodes got him got his way out of the WWE. I want to talk about that. CM Punk, a little update on him, and uh, BTE, among other things. So let's get into it. I think the best place to start is All Out. It's going to happen August 31 at the Sears Center in Chicago. But tickets go on sale tomorrow, June 14, at noon. You can find the Sears Center website or you can go to aewtix.com, T-I-X. You probably could have guessed that. And they also announced today that John Moxley versus Kenny Omega is going to happen at All Out. Uh, the only other thing I would say about the tickets quickly is you want to make sure that you've set up a Sears Center account before noon tomorrow. So if you listen to this before noon tomorrow, try to go to the website, set up an account. Although today it was already dying just from people trying to set up accounts. So best of luck with that. All right, but let's talk about tickets tomorrow. Uh, Nate, what are you thinking? About, we know All In sold out immediately. What are you thinking about uh, ticket sales? What's a success? What's a failure? Is it going to sell out instantly? I think it's going to sell out instantly. Um, anything north of, you know, 6,000 is probably a success in the immediate future. Uh, you know, I, I think there, you know, as far as a profit and loss margin, I have to imagine that they're making money at a number much less than that. Um, but yeah, it, it just feels like they've got a ton of momentum right now. And this is the big show. It's the return to their 
hot Chicago market. I think it's going to sell out pretty much right away. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that this is going to go quick. If if only because of how hard the sign-up process was today. It just seems like that Meltzer thinks 7,000 is good, and 7,000 would be great. But, you know, the way that they've staged these out, they've made this clear that this is kind of their tentpole show. I think that, you know, 7,000 first day would be great, but I expect this to go pretty quick. And one thing before we move on, just so like there's been more announcements about it. It's noon Eastern time. And you only can buy four tickets at a time. So if you have one person doing like a huge group buy, you, you probably need to parcel that out and prepare to not sit all in one giant clump. Yeah. And if it's any indication how all in was for us, we tried to sit in one giant clump and you could order quite a bit of tickets and we had no success with that. So I was hoping uh, someone would have a hot take here, but no, I, I'd be shocked, honestly, if it doesn't sell out within the first 30 minutes to an hour, uh, very quickly. I expect all the tickets to be gone. I mean, Double or Nothing was a great show by all accounts. They announced this Moxley versus Omega, which to me, we had this discussion earlier in our in our group chat. You guys can chime in on it now. To me, Moxley versus Omega is, is the biggest singles match that this company has at this point. And so I'm a little surprised they're going to it so soon. But it definitely uh, should help sell tickets tomorrow. Yeah, uh, I don't think this is actually the biggest singles match. I think the biggest singles match, at least ticket-wise, just because of where they're coming from. And we've seen already the insane amount of interest just in a John Moxley and New Japan backstage promo is John Moxley and Chris Jericho. I feel like that that's the biggest ticket-selling match you could have. But yeah, I... If I have one hot take here, it's that I'm looking at the sheeting, the the sheeting, the seating charts right now, and it looks like there's actually less seats this time than there were for All In. I mean, it looks like they've taken out some of the floor seats, which kind of surprised me. But yeah, I think this is kind of a, you know, this is a big match, and I think that they feel like they needed to have this big match coming off of Double or Nothing. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'll, I'll go Team Benley here. I think Moxley versus Omega is their biggest match because Kenny's their biggest star, and Moxley is the biggest star in the world right now. Um, I don't, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe like people are super um, enthused about Moxley and Jericho because they both used to be in the WWE, but they had a dog shit feud and match in that company. So I really, I wouldn't want to see them against each other for you know, at least six, eight, 10 months, something like that. Um, so yeah, I, I think this is a big match. I think it's fine to run a big match here because you're running a, major show and because you haven't started tv yet like you can kind of go back to this once you're back on tv and theoretically you have a bigger audience to play to um i think the question is who do you put over in this match yeah that's <laughs> gonna be interesting because i guess this person's going to line up as the first challenger for the title right for the actual uh, champion yeah i mean in terms of who we would perceive as being on that top level yes you know they might move them right into a new feud and you know run right. a new angle right off it but yeah but it's going to be interesting because moxley is someone you're going to want to protect obviously omega will or is coming off the loss to jericho do you really want to uh not have him win two big shows in a row i, I don't know you're right it, it's fascinating how that's going to play out I think it's okay. I mean, in the lead up to here, I assume he's going to beat Shima at Fight for the Fallen. And then, you know, in the big elite versus Lucha Brothers and 
X match. I mean, I I don't see him being the one losing or taking the fall unless X is another huge swerve. So, you know, I know having him lose against Jericho and then Moxley over two consecutive big shows is a deal, but it's, I mean, I, I know we've said that John Moxley is their biggest star now, but in a lot of ways, I feel like that Kenny Omega is kind of going to be like their Tanahashi kind of ace that could take losses and it's not necessarily going to hurt his standing within the company or I assume his drawing ability. Well, I guess one question is, do you want Kenny to lose to two WWE guys off the top? I if you have, by, by I was going to say, if you have new match, fans coming in, are they yeah. going who aren't as familiar with Omega? Are they going to lose interest in him if he's losing to uh, Fed guys? So this is on a pay per view, so I don't think we're worried about new fans. I think we're worried about you know established elite fans here. And by the time of this match. Moxley will have wrestled in the G1, right? So he probably will have taken some losses by this point. So it's not like he'll be this fresh, hot act. Like we will have seen him in even matches. I mean, unless he goes undefeated in the G1, which I think is unlikely. But I think you can really make a case that either guy should win here. I think Kenny can kind of safely lose because he's already perceived as being a top star by the fans of this promotion. And he, the, the appeal of him is not necessarily that he wins all the time. It's that his matches are so great. So I think it's more important for him that he has a great match here and a, a match that's better than the Jericho match in the last show and, and a match living up to sort of his perception as, you know, six star Kenny Omega or whatever. Um, Moxley, you know, you can go either way. I think we will have seen him eat some losses by then, although not in this promotion, probably. But I guess I, you know, I, I, and maybe it also depends on who wins the, the title match. Maybe if Jericho wins the title match, you don't want to go to Moxley and Jericho right away, but you probably don't want to go right to Kenny versus Jericho right away either. So I, well, I guess we'll see. But it's, uh, it's one of those things where if this were the WWE, you'd say, oh well, they booked this match. Neither guy should maybe, neither guy should lose. So they're going to try and have to get themselves out of the match now that they've booked it. And so this will be a test. Like, hey, are they just going to have somebody? lose a big match right here. I think that's what we're going to see. If I had to guess, um, I think maybe maybe you want Kenny to win. Well, we were talking earlier, and yes, they may throw these guys into a different feud, but that's the top tier of the promotion, right? Jericho, Page, Omega, and Moxley. Those are the four top guys. Yeah, and then I would really put Pac there once he's free to, to win and lose. <laughs> uh, if Pac's around. Made a face. If Pac's around. Uh, well, I, it will be very clear about what a situation will be after July 21st. But yeah, at, at this point, I'm assuming Pac is never a consistent member of this roster. I think that because of things, we won't see Pac around for a while. And if we do, we're probably talking about 2020 Pac, you know, just and, and I don't necessarily I, I don't know anything special. I It's just. I never truly bought the whole Korea differences thing to begin with, but that means one other thing, and we 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 could all we could all assume what that is. But yeah, if Pac's around, I put him in that like B tier. Him, uh, Cody. I mean, to be honest, probably Dustin. As far as when Dustin's around, at least if we're going to view this on crowd response, I mean, Dustin Rhodes was one of the most over people on the show, and then I guess your MJF's your. I'm just trying to think of other people like MJF would be up there. Maybe 
Jimmy Havoc, I guess, just because of how they have Jimmy Havoc in the match with with Paige and MJF and I guess Jungle Boy as well. I, it's kind of a mess. I feel like that by the all out, we'll get a sense of the stratification and the tiers at least in the company. Yeah, forget about Cody. He's definitely a top tier guy, I would expect going forward, but we'll see. He's a B tier, Pox an A tier. Okay, strong. Does anything else jump out at you all from the uh, seating charts, the differences between all out and all in? The uh, most you know, obvious things are the cheapest tickets went from $28 to $30, but there are fewer of them fewer not i was going to say significantly but i don't know that you'd say significantly fewer but quite a bit fewer and the most expensive tickets went from 153 to 190 i think what you really see here is that other than the 30 dollar tickets that remain every other ticket was bumped up pretty good yeah i mean the the 53 to 60 is not a huge leap there it's a seven dollar bump on that second tier Sure. Um, just, but no, I, the, I think the $60 tickets are all in the 200 level and the, there were tons of $53 mm-hmm. tickets in the 100 level. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, yeah, that's a great point. You're right. Um, I, I think they were smart to keep that $30 range. Cause again, they did sort of uh stake part of their brand on, Oh, we want to, you know, have people that are able, we want everyone to be able to come to the show. We want to fill the building. So it's smart that they didn't jack up those seats even if they might have been able to afford to do so so i think 30 dollars is good and you know i think my my seats and were in like that 203 section there which is now part of the 60 dollar tier last time around i paid 28 dollars for them i felt like i got away with robbery there for the amount i paid and how great those seats were um but yeah just the interest of getting tickets come tomorrow i'm gonna hit two tickets at best available and see that i can lock some down here because Right, like you said last time, I was trying to get four tickets, trying to get eight tickets, and uh, it just didn't happen because the group size was too large. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pay whatever I have to pay to get in at this point. I think it's kind of interesting, really looking at the floor. I know I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but you have like this weird H and J section on the floor that's also thirty dollars, and they've really kind of curtailed. It looks like the amount of floor seating that it doesn't go nearly as far back as it seems like it does before, but they also look like they're using like a different kind of system of laying it out. But, you know, it's, it seems like that everything kind of went up one pricing level with the exception of the $30 seats. And, you know, it's, it's, I, I think that it's still reasonable, especially in comparison to what other shows have put on in the prices. But I mean, still like, you went from 153 ringside to 190. That's a jump. And then basically, other than these like weird back row sections, you're not seeing on the floor for under $100. So I think that's yeah. kind of interesting. But people will definitely pay the 190. So that's a smart move to to gouge the you know super elite people that uh, just have to be ringside or whatever. That's the you know when you need to gouge your Jensen Carps and your John Mayers, jack that up to 200 bucks. Why not? Um, but, you know, really, it's not so big a building that there are bad seats. Like, you can be in the corner in the 200 level, and you're going to have a great view. So, Yeah, the most brutal one, as I'm just kind of looking at these right now, is like Section 115, which is – or this is also the same for 104, 102, 117. So these would be on the 100 level, but not directly in front of the ring. So you'd be slightly to the right or left of the ring. Those were $53 for all in, and they're $140 for all out. So pretty big jump. but. 
overall, I think it's pretty reasonable. Yeah, that's a huge jump. Now that I'm looking at it and thinking about that, that's where they're yeah. getting people. And then yes, that's the big jump. That's the biggest jump, I think. And then I'm thinking about uh, Madison Square Garden for we all, uh, or at least Nate and I sat together just for like where we sat would be the equivalent of 116, and it wasn't like 160 dollars for those tickets too. No, so, yeah, I think it was like 120 maybe. Yeah, Does that sound right. Yeah. yeah, that sounds about right. So I mean, if you're comparing it towards shows of the similar caliber then it's like that and then i'm looking at the chart again and i know this is thrilling audio folks but <laughs> uh, i sat for double or nothing at the bottom part of what would be 110 or 109 and i paid just 60 dollars. so everything's really just gone up a price level it looks like with exception of the 30 dollar tickets yeah the only thing yeah i'm gonna do what nate said and i'm gonna try to get some best availables but if i end up in those uh, what I was just talking about, the 140 the 140s, seats. yeah. It does not seem like a good value for the price you're paying over the no. 90. Yeah, or the those... or the floor seats that are in the very back for 140. That, yeah. I feel like that, as a guy who's 5'6", that would also be rough. <laughs> I, I, as as resident short people, that's not going to be a whole lot of fun, <laughs> being like 12 rows back and having paid a buck 40 for it. No. As a no. tall person, you, you don't want to be in, you don't want to be 15 rows back on the floor anyway. If you're that far back, <laughs> you'd rather be in the first section of risers. Yeah. yeah. I, and that's why I wonder about this H and J. Are those going to be risers? Because if they're going to be risers, those are actually a pretty good move there. You well, know, those are those those are like they're 30 bucks, right? Even though they're yeah. on the floor. So I'm guessing yeah. maybe not. I'm guessing those are not risers. I guess then they're seeing a whole lot of back people's heads. Yeah. Yeah. Those are gonna be rough. But 30 bucks. So anyway, I, I think it's mostly fine. I mean, they're still not seats still aren't crazy. There's still quite a few of $30 tickets, so that's cool. It's uh, you know, it's like life. Mostly it looks like the middle class getting squeezed here in these uh these tickets. The other thing I wanted to talk about, not really talk about, but just mention from All Out Weekend, looks like AEW is going to run the Jim Lina Memorial Tournament on August 29 and August 30. I wrote July 30 in the notes for some reason. August 29, 30. So the two nights before, which is what they did before All In too, right? It just wasn't a wasn't a tournament. Also that weekend, uh, a friend of the show, Murder Brian, he and uh, Brett from Street Fighter having a show in Chicago if you're in town. And that's on Friday night, I believe. I think so. It's either Friday or Sunday. I've, it's one of the nights of the AEW tournament, I think. Yeah. No, it's Sunday. It's Sunday. It's Sunday. It's Sunday. Okay. Mm, okay. I was talking to TJ Hawk last night, who is not going to All Out, but will be in Chicago. <laughs> and uh, he thought it was Friday night, but I have no okay. idea. Well, he he knows better than I. He well, I'm seeing Brian. I'm seeing Street Fight Radio live. This yeah, you're Friday right. night. But in Kentucky. So. In Lexington, yeah, Kentucky. Going, you're going to Best Friends Bar, aren't you? I am. I think uh, it's in Kentucky, so Chuck E. T. should be there at Best Friends Bar, and uh, should be exciting. So looking forward to that. So it's going to be a whole weekend. Mm -hmm. uh, will I come in for AW again after the really bad AW show I went to last time? Hard to say. Yeah, first show was good. Yeah, that's what I heard. <laughs> I missed it, unfortunately. <laughs> I went to a show that featured Sammy Callahan versus Jimmy Jacobs in a match that uh, would not end. Yeah, grueling. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Fighter Fest. A few notes on Fighter Fest. Uh, just to remind you, of course, going on June 29th, Daytona Beach. I would expect two episodes from now, we will do a full rundown on Fighter Fest. Uh, that'll be just a few days before the show and get you uh, ready for it. Uh, this is the best news that came out this week. Fighter Fest is going to be free on, yeah. on BR Live. You just have to have an account. So, 
make sure you've uh, gone and set up an account before the show and you'll be able to watch it for free. Awesome uh, move. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. What do y'all think? So we had our, our own takes on 50 bucks for double or nothing. Does it, does this, well, two questions. One, do you like this move? Which obviously it's a good move, but you know, you could squeeze some money out here, you know, five or 10 bucks. It would be an easy way to, to make some bucks. Uh, so do you think it's a good move? One, two, does it change how you feel about the $50 double or nothing price? Yeah, I feel like that. I think that free versus $10. I mean, that's, you, you have a sliding scale of when people are going to do other means. And now basically you say, okay, people who are going to pirate things regardless. Now you don't have to just sign up for BR live, which of course puts you on a mailing list and enables that mailing list hell that is the landscape that we live in today. So I think that's good. And then comparing it back to $50 now for, I'm assuming all out will be a $50 show now, now that we know that this one's going to be free. I have to suspect though, fight for the fallen might have a price just because it's supposed to be such like a show for charity for the victims of gun violence. I wouldn't be surprised if it's like $10 and then they say, okay, all the proceeds go to the terrible foundation they're working with. But yeah, you know, I was expecting 10 to 20 was kind of my, was kind of my happy range, but having it at free, I mean, that's, I think that's a smart move. So yeah, I think it's awesome. And I think it makes double or nothing look better in retrospect. I think it's a really good card now. Um, and yeah, you're trying to get attention on the promotion. So they get a big number when they debut on TV. So in that sense, it's great to have a free show with marquee talent on it. Now, if you're going to have the, the floodgates open to get all this, you know, a uh, larger audience. They got to put on another great show here. Um, so we're, we're hoping it's more like double or nothing than um, like last year's CEO show. Um, but yeah, I think it's a great strategy. Like Mike said, then you can start bugging people on the BR live mailing list. Like, Hey, you've got an account. Here's the next pay-per-view. It's coming in a week, you know, click here to order and do all that shit. That seems to work for uh, normal, not super online people. And they also confirmed with this news that Christopher Daniels and Shima is going to happen at Fighter Fest. So this just turned into a pretty big card. When did we talk about that last week or whether this was going to be a full-size card? It looks like it is. Yeah, seven matches. And they said that Jabaley versus Michael Nakazawa is going to be on the pre-show. So they might add another match. I mean, Brandy sounded like there would be another women's match on the show. So you're looking at about an eight-match card. So I think that's appropriate, especially considering how big and kind of crazy double or nothing was to kind of keep this at seven or eight matches including the pre-show so i think that's i think it's a solid show and i mean christopher daniels versus shima if you've listened to me on the show enough you know how like i've kind of hammered home their relationship there so that's where i'm really stoked for that dave said in the observer that the commentary team will be golden boy logan sama and excalibur early on in the show and then during the key main show matches it'll be the aw crew which i take to mean Excalibur and Jim Ross or Marvez working with Golden Boy. So interesting that they're uh, integrating those esports commentators uh, who were actually pretty good last year. Um, although I know people hate Logan Sama and uh, we did have another minor Twitter controversy because uh, Kenny tweeted a photo with some racist gamer. Yeah. Uh, Golden Boy is an awesome move though. I really like this. He's a big wrestling fan and he's someone that if they're going to have a desk host, I think that he, they, they should go for Golden Boy because he has a lot of experience in esports. I'm not very familiar with Logan Sama, to be honest, but 
Golden Boy is awesome. He did. He's a wrestling fan. He did the Rocks Ninja Warrior like show. But I didn't see that Marvez was going to be on the show from the. Well, thing. He, he just says the AEW crew working with Mendez, meaning Golden Boy. So yeah. he, he didn't specify who that is, but. I'm really excited for Jim Ross at CEO. I hope somebody follows him around all day and does like a little mini doc. Kenny Johnson, we need you to do a JR at Kenny. CEO mini doc. Yeah, I want to. <laughs> I, I want to see what happens when like they go see like Blaze Blue or something and have him. Did just someone needs to bring him around CEO? I mean, go to Blaze Blue, go to see uh, uh, Smash Brothers, go see everything. Like, come on, we need to take jr with kenny johnson around just go see all of all that daytona beach and the fighting game community has to offer also what's the possibility that this golden boy guy just annoys the piss out of jim ross that it's really will really uh amuse me either way even if he's good <laughs> or if he's bad and jr is like i'm doing you know fucking wrestling commentary with some street fighter commentator it's that will entertain me either way i mean golden boy has like done desk jobs he's been on uh, tnt so like he's done stuff with turner before like he is a kind of he's moved from just being esports into just doing like overall kind of entertainment so i think he'll be good but i i think it'd be funny like him having to refer to his broadcast partners excalibur and golden boy i think that's <laughs> the thing that's gonna drive him nuts so that's what i'm looking forward to I just hope he says some real gamer shit that Jim Ross is confused about <laughs> and it just like makes him lose his yeah. mind. If he drops some like monkas or like yeets on screen, you know, that'd be great. Yeah, last last year they did a very good joke. I don't recall who it was, but it was the fighting game guys and somebody headbutted Tamatonga and Tamatonga didn't sell it because he's Samoan and you you know, in wrestling history, Samoans have thick skulls and don't sell headbutts. And whoever it was, maybe it was Golden Boy, said, Oh, I didn't know the lore. Didn't know the lore. Got to know the lore. And that <laughs> abused me greatly. <laughs> Love lore. Okay. So that's a little bit of what we know about Fighter Fest. There was a new Road to Fighter Fest episode this week. Uh, let's run down that briefly. We open in a funeral home, and it's Joey Janela's funeral, maybe. But then Joey jumps out. He says everyone is saying that John Moxley is going to kill him at Fighter Fest. I'd already forgotten that this match was scheduled. So I was like, oh, yeah, this is going to be cool. And Joey says, that's okay if he uh, if everybody thinks he's going to kill me because I've already made my mark, and at least I didn't dress up like a mechanic. And it does like a bunch of stuff about why Dean Ambrose sucked and why it sucked to work at WWE. Yeah. And uh, closes with, I'd rather be dead than obscure, which pretty cool. Not sure how it went with the rest of the promo, uh, but generally this was just like bad. This was this was oh. not a good promo. I, really? I, I, didn't oh, like I, like the, I like the promo. I didn't yeah. like the the random shots that if they kept it as like a one shot of just him talking to the camera at the funeral home, I thought that would have been really solid as is the content of it. I mean, everyone's going to get their licks in on Moxley that way, but the, the having like three cameras and doing a three camera shoot of it and cutting weirdly to it, you don't need to do that. We've seen how Moxley does with just grabbing a camera and just talking straight into it. So I, I mean, I thought the content of the promo was, was okay, but I thought the production, especially in comparison to some of the other stuff, in this row two fighter fest was a little lacking. I thought uh, the, the set and the concept and stuff was all the highlight, like doing the, the coffin gimmick, the funeral home gimmick that uh, entertained me greatly. I love the idea of Joey as this guy with a death wish who was, you know, just wants to be a legend, doesn't care if he lives or dies. That's great. That fits his character perfectly. Having the giant picture of him in the background there 
was great and just, you know, represents that extra effort of, oh, you know, this is a funeral for Joey Janela. So we're going to get a big, super colorful picture of Joey Janela here. Um, I agree with Mike about the camera cuts drove me crazy because I don't understand what that means. Like the truth of what this segment is, is Joey Janela is recording a video message to John Moxley. But then we have these cuts to the side of his face as he talks into a camera somewhere, which is just like, why are you pulling it back and showing us the, 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 the fakeness of this promo? Why are you pulling back and showing us like, you know, that this is a constructed set? It doesn't really make any sense to me. The just having him talk directly into the camera works for Moxley worked in that great Cody promo. And that's, you know, that works for people who are familiar with vlogs, like people talking to their little webcams and that's what people watch YouTube for, I guess. So that, that like drove me insane why they kept showing the side of his face. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the meat of the promo was like, whatever. Um, but the, you could feel the like sincerity of Joey and like feel what his character is and, and, and why he has like this, uh, this, this uh, urge to fight Moxley. The stuff about he's like, oh, yeah, you know, you had a bad straight to DVD movie. That's straight out of WWE. That's something a WWE writer would write. But uh, I, I just enjoyed really the premise and the set of the video. And it was, um, you know, uh, 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 engaging enough that I was like, OK, yeah, this is the Joey Janela that I know in this match. Joey's never going to unblock us after that comment that I made. So I'm regretting that now. <laughs> yeah, well, he he didn't do it after I made the direct appeal, so I don't think it's yeah, going to happen. It's not happening. He probably doesn't listen, so it's okay. I guess my thing is the straight to DVD. Oh, that all those comments in that part of the promo was where it kind of lost me because <laughs> you have to compare it directly with the Moxley promos. That's the match that we're getting right. And to me, the reason why Moxley's promos come off so well is because they seem so genuine. He seems like a real person. And this veered a little too much into pro wrestling gimmick than uh, than real guy ready to fight this guy. Yeah, and it was kind of like work shoot. Okay, let's talk about Kevin Dunn and talking about NYU oh, grads. Like that was yeah. where it got a little hacked to me. And here's yeah, I like the NYU grads line. That was funny to me. Yeah, but it didn't work for me. But the thing for me, what I would say is have the one wide shot of him where you have him after he gets out of the uh, casket and you have it just dead on there. And then maybe just have a different angle medium shot of him, just like chest up, but you can get like somewhat of a close up. You don't need the side angle shots because that just looks like you're trying to do things for, for doing things sake. But you know, it, it, it's a weird contrast because you would think that people who weren't familiar with Moxley before WWE, you think that he would cut the WWE style promo, but we ended up really getting <laughs> it from Janela. And that was kind of striking considering that Janela was someone at least with, Giancarlo was able to do some really, really interesting videos before Giancarlo, you know, disappeared. So I think that that's the thing that kind of stuck out for me. It was like the production loss and just the difference there. Yeah, on that point, I think we've kind of seen WWE promos infect a lot of young talent because that's all that's been on TV while they were up and coming talent. Um, and it's like the same reason that CZW of all promotions uses like weird WWE lingo, like championship opportunity and all that bullshit. Like you would think CZW would go away from that, but you just have people that have uh, really, really integrated that into their own uh, concept of wrestling because that's been the only wrestling on TV for so long. So hopefully 
that's something they can continue to get away from as they like, you know, uh, get into the groove of doing regular promos and, and doing TV and spreading their wings on their own terms and stuff. I did the, the, the closing shot where he puts himself in the casket though. That was also great to me. Yeah. I liked the, I liked the setup of the promo. It just kind of didn't work for me. All right. Then we get Brandy. She's announcing a women's match for fighter fest. It's going to be Yuka Sakazaki versus Riho versus Nyla Rose. She promises that it will stay a three-way. She's not going to uh, bring somebody else out. And then she basically just puts everybody over. The funniest part to me was her idea of putting Riho over was to say she's very good at taking a beating. <laughs> and uh, basically promised, you know, that Nyla Rose might do that to her uh, in, this, in this match. And I just wanted to add at this point that in a tweet earlier this week, she did suggest that there would be another women's match at Fighter Fest, as Mike uh, referenced earlier. So uh, we don't know what that might be. Yeah, this is uh this is great. I, I was not really expecting to see either Yuka or Riho back so soon. So I'm like pretty pumped. I mean, we know that Riho has a five five show deal or something like that, uh, but we didn't really know what the circumstances were with Yuka. So very cool that they're you know turning right around and coming back to the U.S. for this. Yeah, and it makes you kind of wonder that if Riho has this five show deal, I assume then that we could say that she's probably going to be on fight for the fallen and then all out. Then it makes you wonder that there's still some time in theory, before having TV come on on Turner, do you think there will be another fourth like mini show before TV kicks off so that they would have five shows there? And that's kind of, for lack of better terms, her tryout to the States? Because I, I, that's something that's kind of popped in my head right now, thinking about her coming back so suddenly. Maybe I'm way off on this, but based on what they've done so far, I'm expecting there to be a show every month. Mm-hmm. So yeah. one in September at least. Yes, I expect there will be a smaller show like Fighter Fest or Fight for the Fall in September. Right. And build whenever the next big show would be. But I think they're going to run a non-TV show every month. Mm-hmm. I mean, the All Out is what, August 31st? Yep. I, and TV starts in October, we believe? Yes. So I think you can take September off because your next big show should be the first TV show. That should be a major show. So you want to build to that in a major way. That's fair. So the road to, you know, uh, uh, AEW Dynamite or whatever it is, uh, you know, start building some angles coming off of All Out. You want that to be appointment viewing for not only, you know, people that are already watching the shows month to month, but everybody else. So, uh, you know, I think we should probably expect a lot from that first show. And again, if if Joshi is going to be something they want to use to distinguish themselves from the WWE, maybe you put Riho on that show. So maybe that's our fifth show. Surprised, uh, I guess there's a Makai show. Surprised Takaru Shida is not going to be involved if they're going to be using Joshi on this show. She, uh, yeah, she and Aja Kong are both on the same tour up in Hokkaido, I believe, which is the northern island of Japan. There you go. Wow. Japanese geography from Nate. There you have it. Okay, there's a Sean Spears feature. We learned this week that uh, Sean Spears has officially signed a contract with AEW. This, oh, this is quite a vignette. Um, basically, we see Sean Spears standing in front of a sports car. I think it's a Dodge Charger. Somebody's going to call me out on that. Yeah, it was a green Dodge Charger. Yeah. We get uh, Sean Spears with shackles and chains around his wrists, and he's breaking them. It's like, dude, Mox already did that. Okay, we've already been there. Uh, I'm... I really dislike this. Like if, <laughs> if it's between this and the Janela promo, I'll take the Janela promo all day. 
So I, I, I tuned this ad altogether. I really did not pay attention to it, except I like I peeked back when he was like standing on a building top and it was supposed to look all glossy and like he was super cool guy or whatever. <laughs> um, I, I guess that's maybe what the 10 character is, question mark. But uh, that's the, fair. the Sean Spears in the Double or Nothing post show where he was like very human and like, oh, I thought people might forget me or be like, oh, forget this guy. He was a you know, one trick pony and a forgotten job or whatever was that was more interesting to me than, Oh yeah. We totally believe Sean Spears is like the rich sex symbol guy. Uh, I mean, he's doing fine. Don't get me wrong. And there was a, an interview, I guess, where he said he turned down more money from the WWE to go, go to AEW instead or go independent instead and then sign with AEW. Um, but I just, uh, it, he doesn't embody cool sports car, Miami Knights guy to me at all. Yeah. He, like he must, he came up with the perfect 10 character, right? Or I, I mean, some part of him, ha this has to be some part of him, right? Yeah. I'm sure this is what he wants to be doing. Yeah. 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 And if this is the case, I mean, maybe don't have this video so soon or while Moxley is still so, such a hot person and people still talk about that video. I mean, this is what, two weeks after the whole sick Nick Mondo kind of, was revealed as the guy behind it. I mean, timing, yo. I mean, that's just because that's the only thing I thought about while watching this is like, oh, this is like a C level Moxley promo that they kind of shot and they wanted to have this thing done. And oh, he has a bright green Dodge Charger. That's cool. All right. This was a very like late 90s white rapper music video. <laughs> it had that vibe for sure. All right. Then we go to uh, the office and we see Cody with Nick Sobic. I'm just guessing at that. He's the, the new vice president of business operations, apparently also works for the Jaguars, right? Yeah, I uh, pulled up his details because friend of the show, uh, Chris James, pointed them out. Uh, he was a former football player, NFL, Harvard graduate. Um, and yeah, now he apparently has an office role here. Um, so, you know, they're keeping it, keeping it closely tied to that Jaguars organization. And all things considered, you have to think that the Jaguars organization is relatively competent and knows how to do sports production. So maybe not the worst thing. And they, they're talking a little bit about Sean Spears. And I thought this was interesting because Cody basically suggests that that Spears is going to be more of a coach eventually. He basically says, well, he's kind of a player coach. Then he'll kind of turn into a coach. You know, it's like basically don't expect to see this guy as a a frontline wrestler for for the long-term future. Yeah, which was the the Nick Sobek guy said he thought he was going to be a star. So it's Yeah, that was weird. It was I didn't know if that was Cody signaling to us like, "Hey, you know, we know this guy doesn't have a, a perception as a top star. He was coming from a company where he was on the bottom ranks and then developmental forever." Um or is this the seeds of a feud between Cody and Sean Spears, where Sean Spears is going to say, oh, you didn't think I could do it. You know, you disrespected me and thought I was just going to be a coach. Well, you know, I'm, now I'm going to kick your ass or something. It's interesting to uh, to see where that heads. But I did. But this is, the again, the sort of side of Cody that you like, just where he's honest and just like uh, says very straightforward about his feelings. Well, he is in his late 30s, right, Spears? Yeah, he's older than he looks for sure. I think he's like 38 or so, I want to say. Yeah. And you know, I don't, I don't see a possibility of him becoming a star. But that could just be poisoned by having seen him in WWE for so long. I mean, may, I mean, 
give it a shot. That's fine with me. Might be fun. Uh, he is a, a very solid worker, but I, I don't know that he can become a big star. And we're probably also outliers on this because we don't have any investments in the WWE. Like there was a time when his 10 thing was literally the hottest thing in wrestling. Oh you yeah. Go, that, you would that go to wrestling. Huge. Yeah. You would go to indie, indie wrestling shows and people would just chant 10 all the time for no fucking reason. So it, it may, you know, there are, there was a time when he was obviously super over for whatever reason, because the number 10 was funny. Um, but so yeah, we we might be outliers on this. We'll, so we'll see if uh, the truth is more in Nick Sobek's point of view or on Cody's here. I also have to get out of my head that you don't have to be a, a super worker to be a star. I think that sometimes, and it's uh, it's not true in any way. No, I mean unless you're in like New Japan. Yeah, we should maybe talk about uh, Jericho Okada at some point. Okay, feel free. Um, okay, well, do you want to finish this episode of Double Road 2 first? Sure, why not? There's only one segment left. It's a it. feature with Darby Allen. Uh, starts with uh, hard focus on his knuckle tattoos that say drug-free. Got a huge pop for me as uh, the, the, straight, the resident straight-edge kid. So that was very exciting. He tells a story about... Now, was Darby in the car for this? This was confusing to me. His yeah, uncle, his uncle picked him up, I believe. He was right. in the car, yeah. Yeah, so his uncle uh, picked him up, took him driving. The uncle was drunk, and I, there was an accident, I suppose, and the uncle ends up dying. And so that had a big effect on Darby, obviously. He talks about how he paints his face. The way he paints his face is because half of him is dead inside. He's like, it's not a gimmick. It's not whatever. It's This is, you know, real shit. I really, I shouldn't have, but I really laughed at just the way he said, I got relentless tattooed on the back of my neck last week. It, I don't know. It was very funny. <laughs> Maybe only me. Uh, I thought it was good. I mean, I was like, okay, yeah, Darby, you, you got this last week done. You made sure to get camera coverage of it. Cody, who was listed as producer here, had made sure to get yeah. the back of your neck shown. But yeah. I just love Darby. Like he does this whole thing about how he did skating and he, kind of enjoys taking risks and people watching him like put his safety at risk. Just wrecking himself in these videos, just yeah. throwing himself like the video off the roof. I feel like might've been in an early Kenny Johnson video or something where like yeah. he completely bites it on the roof and then doing the, uh, the whole jumping the city bus and wrecking himself. And I thought, I love this, like the, this rule, this was the best part of the episode in my mind. Yeah. And if you don't know about Darby's backstory, Darby, showed up for a tryout, a WWN slash Evolve tryout. And they just decided to put him on the show. I guess Gabe uh, liked him and put him on the show, the promoter of Evolve, Gabe Sapolsky. And he literally went from a tryout dude with just like thrown into a match to the top of the card in Evolve. At the beginning, from literally just throwing himself off of the tallest thing in every building they went to and just being completely reckless with his body. He got super over with the crowd, culminated in this a crazy match that he had with Ethan Page at Orlando WrestleMania weekend where he took an insane bump off of a uh, huge ladder. So this is a guy who got himself over by, by being reckless and not in a bad way, you know, just like, it's like, look, I'm a small guy, you know, so I'm going to throw myself off of shit and see if that works. And it did, but he's literally a, a dude who came from uh, just trying out to, you know, where he is now, which is very exciting. He talks about how uh, people tell him to tone it down, but I don't have that switch, which I thought was pretty cool. It's just funny because 
you could take Darby as cheesy. You absolutely could. But he comes across as so earnest. Like, I totally believe that he believes everything that he's saying. So yeah. He's, he's just wonderful. He commits, and that's all it takes is he commits, and that, you know, it's sincere because he just lives it all the time. Um, we did have uh, a friend of the show, Scott, on Twitter, uh, asked if we had any Darby Allen recommendations. So you mentioned the Ethan Page one. He had a couple, a few great matches with Ethan Page, if that's, if you believe that or not, in Evolve. Uh, there was the one in Queens uh, with the handcuffs was an Ethan Page one. There was the one in Orlando. That was the crazy bonkers hardcore match. Uh, also st- jumping out at me is his match with Walter from Evolve in the last couple of years. And, uh, of course, he had the good match with Zack Sabre Jr. that they were building up to for a long time. Any other ones that come to mind? A.B., Darby fan? I think Zack Sabre Jr. Like, that was kind of him at his best in my mind. Yeah, I, so... I remembered as we were talking about this that I that we got that question, and so I'm trying to look at my my spreadsheet and see if I can find some Darby matches. So you guys talk about Darby. Okay, Darby's the man. He um, rules. Yeah, those are those are the matches that jump out of me. Uh, they're one of those Ethan Page matches ended with him like uh, getting severely injured, um, and not you know from one of his wacky bumps really more, but I think a, a shovel shot or something. Yeah, it, I think it was that he, one of the one of the matches had like a body bag as a big thing, and he and he wasn't able to kind of protect himself in the body bag, and he just like split his head open really gross. I feel like that was that the, was uh, the body bag was in Orlando, right? And, uh, Ethan threw him out of the ring in a body bag, and he like hit the fucking barricade. It was bonkers. Yeah, the 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 one thing that I'm a little bit worried about Darby, and he is. When I was following Evolve, which was also the same time as everything Evolve existed, it was, uh, he was very much like the uh, heart and soul of the promotion in a lot of ways because he was just a very earnest performer. And having him in, like, in this kind of context and built up this way would be very interesting to portray it because I feel like that a lot of people who became Darby fans were people who were watching Evolve and, and saw him basically claw with like his teeth and chew his way up to the top of the card and having a very unsatisfying end. But he had like the Zack Sabre Jr. match, like was just something special that was could have been like his coronation. And of course it didn't happen that way. And he, he's just a very dynamic person. And it's kind of interesting. He he's one of like the last two big s- students of Buddy Wayne. Like it was him and Rebel Kell were like the two that trained up there before Buddy Wayne sadly passed on and he moved to Atlanta. And I guess he trained with AR Fox for a while too. So just imagine those two trainers together. You get Darby Allen from there. Yeah. So let me run down some of the matches you all have been talking about. So uh, Zach Zaber, Zach Saber Jr. versus Darby Allen is from Evolve 98, uh, January 2018. Great match. You got Darby versus Walter at Evolve 106 from June of 2018. Uh, there was a great match between Darby and Matt Riddle, August 11 uh, at Evolve 110. And then the other match, yeah, is the uh, Darby versus Ethan Page from Evolve 81. And that was the one that happened in Orlando, which was insane. I remember that Alan Forel and Rob Naylor were standing behind me and uh, Alan, Rob, I guess, is friends with Darby or knows Darby. And I just remember Alan Forel telling Rob um, something to the effect of, 
you got to get your mate there. What, what's your mate doing? <laughs> <laughs> That's the most Alan thing. <laughs> Alan's one of the great people to go see at shows because he will just either freak out or he'll just be doing comments like, Rob, you got to get your mate there. You have to go get your boy, man. Yeah, very fun. Uh, so. Also, uh, I'll throw one more in. Um, January 8th, 2017, and the team of AR Fox, Darby Allen, Dave Christ, and Sammy Callahan against Desmond Xavier, Jason K, Jason Kincaid, and Sammy Guevara. That, of course, from FIP Everything Burns 2017. <laughs> that matches canon. That matches that, canon. Great. If you want to see just a, a bonkers outdoor brawl in some weird park structure, and at one point everybody disappears into a hole in the wall, um, that's what you're looking for right there. I just found a note on this match. Evolve 93, Darby Allen versus DJZ. And my note on it was two insane people trying to kill themselves. So, but uh, that was in Chicago, was it? Probably because DJ. I think it was. It. Yeah, DJZ was working those those dates over here in Michigan. Um, yeah. So yeah, Okada versus Jericho. Jericho was defeated by Okada at New Japan's Dominion. Um, and I guess my question for the panel is: uh, Having seen this match, do you have any opinions on Jericho as a top guy going forward in AEW? I didn't see the match, so I'll sit this one out. Uh, I don't know. Does this match really tell me anything about that? I mean, it showed that Jericho is really only interesting working like the, the brawler style, right? Right. I think uh, we have seen maybe the breadth of what he can do in this new incarnation of himself. And, you know, we saw him calling back to a lot of the old little spots or tricks that he was doing in his Naito matches and the Omega match. And, you know, now that we've seen them sort of trotted out here for the fourth or fifth time in that company, I, I, I'm just wondering, is he able to carry a company week to week on TV? Because I, you know, I mean, I, I don't expect that they're putting him in matches every week on TV. Um, but yeah, I guess having seen the match, I enjoyed it greatly because it was super wacky. Um, there was pretty intense drama because there was the possibility that Jericho could win the belt, which would have been pretty wild. Um and I was just amused by his like individual choices and the goofy shit that he did. Um, but I don't think I want to see that match once a month and, you know, for the next couple of years. And he has a three-year deal, right? That sounds right. I don't know. But Because my thought would be, what I was first thinking was, look, a lot of people haven't watched all these matches. A lot of people didn't, didn't see that match and yeah. didn't see the Naito match. You know, the only maybe the only match they've seen recently is that Jericho Omega match from Double or Nothing, right? So, maybe. I think he still has some some room in AEW. Uh, so I, you know, I wouldn't be afraid just because of what you and I are saying to run with him. But I think you obviously, well, it's not obvious, but I'm pretty confident he's going to beat Adam Page and be the first champion. And I would use that to pretty quickly put use him to put other people over and kind of cycle him down. I don't know if that's what they're going to do, but you're right. I, I don't think <laughs> he's not going to be entertaining wrestling. Now, his promos are still very funny. So if he just wants to come on TV every week and say, happy championship, bitch, then <laughs> that could get over <laughs> for sure. Uh, but no, I, I think I think you already see him wearing out his welcome with the, with the Japanese pro wrestling fans. And I don't yeah. mean, well, the Japanese fans and yeah. the American Japanese pro wrestling fans. I mean, I, I, in New Japan, you can get away with doing that 
show closing angle, I think, because they never do it. So it's actually fresh and interesting when you do do it. Um, but yeah, we, we can't have Jericho uh, healing at the end of every episode of television, I don't think. Anyway, I've um, just having seen that, I was kind of like, oh, you know, this is like a fascinating little package of a match to watch here. But it does kind of make me wonder how long can you go with Jericho on top if he's the heel champion that does a lot of uh, brawling and tomfoolery and, and shit on the outside to keep his title. How long is that an entertaining act in American pro wrestling? It, it, on some level, like he's also maybe a big enough star that he can go away with it forever because there are people that will just think whatever he does is gold for however long he wants to do it. That's true. Jim Ross has survived this long, right? Fair point. Okay, uh, just a few more notes before we get into the BTE recap. Uh, God, I've listened to the Talk is Jericho podcast so many times since we started this show, and it's a little depressing. But Dustin Rhodes was on there this week, so I checked it out. And there is some cool stuff if you want to listen just to hear more about them putting together the uh, the Double or Nothing match. And you can just hear how excited he is about how well it went which he's a chud, so, you know, it's hard to be too excited for him, but it, it is nice uh, to hear that, and you get some dusty talk, so that's all good. But the interesting thing to me was, well, two things. One, they were talking about his face paint and his costume and how all that came together, and he talks about how he was basically asking Cody, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to look like? So I thought that was interesting, like how much input Cody would have on that. And hearing him say that Cody told him, I don't want any of that uh, carny ass bullshit. <laughs> so he, he's like, I don't want the jeans. I don't want the cowboy. You know, I don't want you to be the natural. Uh, this is a wrestling show. I want you to be, be a wrestler. So I thought that was fascinating. And uh, Dustin was very pleased. He thought he looked very good on the show. So he, yeah, as far as like physically, that was, you know, that's good. That's great. Uh, but the interesting part to me was they talked about him leaving WWE. And, of course, he tells a, a well-known story uh, just because of, we've heard it from so many people about creative having nothing for him for weeks and months on end. Uh, interestingly, he said he really complained about him being dragged to TV every week and having to pay for hotels and rental cars. You know, so he's like, basically, I'm. he didn't say I'm losing money, but sounded like, you know, I'm having to lay out all this cash and uh, they're not doing anything with me. So he was bummed about that. But he talked about how he actually left. So he says he goes into uh, Vince's office and says, you know, I want to leave. You're not doing anything with me. He talks about how the, the conversation got very emotional. And basically they come to an agreement that he's going to uh, be out. I should have written down the exact terms, but for some period of time, he was going to be rehabbing, I think. I think he was injured. They were going to pay him during that. Then he would have a 90-day non-compete, and they would pay him during that, and they would release him from his contract. That would be the end of it. Then he gets a call from Triple H, and they have a nice little call, except it was confusing the timeline here, but either during that call or quickly thereafter, he found out that WWE was reneging on the deal they had made. So he got a lawyer. And got a lawyer involved. And then he said, I just left it to my lawyer and they worked it out. And ultimately I got released. So I thought that was fascinating. And, you know, Dustin's probably made a decent amount of money in, in the business. So that's good. And he could probably afford a decent lawyer. But it just leads me to believe that 
a lot of these folks should just be lawyering up mm-hmm. and the WWE does not want to litigate these issues in any way. Nope, because we've, as we've talked about before, these contracts and they're whack contracts. So Yeah, they're very bad. Yeah, just take a look at, if you ever get bored, take a look at the IRS's uh, rules for being an independent contractor and then take what you know about WWE contracts and their workers and just just, just do the checklist. It's a nice, like, what, 21 point, I think it is? 21 different rules? 20, I think. 20, yeah. It's a fun exercise. It'll open some eyes up for you. You can also, I I didn't have the link ready here, but you can also Google Aaron Bentley, independent contractor, Voices of Wrestling. I wrote an article about it one time, and you can read about that. So, yeah, I just think it's interesting. Get a lawyer, folks. If you're a wrestler and you're trying to leave WWE and you're listening to this, (laughs) sure, that's a huge population. Get a lawyer. Get the hell Um, out of there. Yeah, I mean, Aaron's not trying to drum up business for himself, but I mean, there's (laughs) there's also a um current controversy about impact contracts and like killer cross interview and scarlet bordeaux's living at home and working a second job and all this stuff um yeah get a lawyer to review your contract before you sign it goes for impact goes for lucha underground um yeah have somebody read the contract who knows about contracts entertainment contracts in particular don't be a mark (laughs) just always wanted to say that thank you you're welcome okay cm punk he says he's not coming to AEW. <laughs> Dave, the flag is the stars. I know you're Dave Meltzer and you, you're Dave Meltzer, but come the fuck on. It's just dude. a Chicago flag, dog. Yeah, yeah. It's not like it's probably the most famous city flag out of that New York City in the country, but like it's a big deal. It's a fucking flag. Dave. Yeah, every, every third person here has a Chicago flag tattoo. So I think it's just Dave is talking to dumb people recently. I, I, I just I think in the, the newsletter or something to, to catch the listeners up here, Dave had an item in the Observer that the stars on the All Out poster were very reminiscent of the stars on CM Punk's logo and stuff. Of course, that's because they both just take from the Chicago flag. But Dave said in the Observer, "Oh, you know, there's a lot of speculation that this means that CM Punk's going to be there." Blah blah blah. Um, and yeah, Dave's just getting speculation from the wrong people. He also was talking about how the Juice Robinson's opponent at um, for the U.S. title was going to be Mark Haskins when they're in the same stable, and Mark Haskins is about four feet tall. So just talk, Dave, whoever you're talking to, not smart. Come on. And the the other thing, this was just from a tweet. Like somebody said, CM Punk, are you going to disappoint your fans by not showing up at AEW? And he just responded, yes. So I, I don't know. That's fine. I, they like like I said before, you, they couldn't get Punk, so they made their own Punk. And John Moxley's, uh, you know, turned in a better match with Juice Robinson than. CM Punk had outside had in the WWE outside of maybe four or five matches. So I just really did this so we could put CM Punk in the episode description and hopefully people will click on it. Oh yeah. Oh, does this, that work? Is he, is he a draw for the podcasts? We're more confident that he is. We're going to find out. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's, let's talk BTE, Nate. All right. We're going to bang this out because the uh, game six is on of the NBA finals. So yes. I'm trying to, Trying to get to that. This episode is titled Dark Order. I did a very good job of being on top of that and putting it right here on the run sheet, so I would not miss that. Yes, you did. All right. So this episode opens with uh, Luchasaurus and the Jungle Boy in a grocery store. They're trying to get some food. Uh, Jungle Boy cannot reach some cereal off the top shelf because he's Mark Haskins height. So um, Luchasaurus puts him up on his shoulders, and they get the Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Uh, that's what Jungle Boy likes cereal-wise. 
they're very shirtless in the grocery store and they go down the cereal aisle. There's a guy at the end of the aisle who's amused to see them, which made this segment amusing because we could, you know, see the truth of this segment, which is two half naked guys <laughs> on each other's shoulders in a grocery store. Um, Luchasaurus. Sorry. I was gonna say this ruled. My tag team is happening. I'm so happy. Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy are a tag team in canon now. Yeah, this is uh they've also been tweeting stuff. It's it's a cute little pairing. Uh Luchasaurus goes and buys a lot of meat. I guess he's a carnivorous dinosaur. Um, but Jungle Boy doesn't want meat, he wants bananas, so he goes and gets some bananas. Cute little segment. Nice little, nice little character bit here. Um, better than you know, leaning on the guy, the fact that this guy has a master's degree. That's not interesting to me. Just be careful with the short guy slander, okay? Is that to me or to the show? That's to you. <laughs> my, my apologies. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't slandering anyone. I was just saying Mark Haskins can't be wrestling Juice Robinson because he's not a heavyweight. He's a junior. That was okay, my point. Just, just saying, be careful. You made a little jungle boy. <laughs> he's Mark Haskins tight. Am I wrong? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I can't say. All right. <laughs> Apologies to any and all short kings out there. Um, all right, so we've got Hangman. He's on the phone in his home, uh, and they lampshade the fact that there's not really an authority figure, even though they're all sort of authority figures. Uh, he's on the phone to Nick Jackson, and he says, you know, nobody's making these matches. We just got to talk about them, and then they happen. So he calls Nick. He says, I want to smack the unibrow off of MJF's face. This is arising out of the segment of Double or Nothing, one presumes, where MJF uh, interrupted him and Bret Hart. Uh, Nick Jackson's on the phone. He has one of those poppet things on his phone, and it's an Eevee. I think they must be uh, Pokemon fans in that household. Um, but he says the connection's breaking up. So at some point, Hangman says, uh, it's a jungle out there, which is not, you would never say that because a phone connection was breaking up. But Nick hears jungle, and he thinks he wants Jungle Boy. Um, and in the background here, uh, interesting to note that Paige was watching a Chris Jericho versus Ultimo Dragon match from WCW. All right. And then we cut to the aforementioned MJF. He's looking at a giant poster of the roller coaster, Cody Rhodes. He put it up on the wall of this location that we are, which appears to be a wrestling school. Cody's giant poster is next to one of Ric Flair. Um, a man enters and says you know this might not be a good idea with the giant poster mjf berates him talks down to him browbeats him uh says don't look at me um and then finally mjf says he's going to be nice you're right about the poster i'm going to take you for ice cream but they walk off camera and we hear the guy crying out in agony then um uh yeah so then we get mjf and uh, uh the guy has had his arm twisted obviously he uh, agrees with MJF about the poster now, and he seems to be in some pain. But it is kind of funny because he did actually buy him the ice cream. I guess I don't know where this school was. Is it the school that they bought, we're thinking? And they put up giant posters of Cody and Ric Flair? I'm not certain. It didn't look like the post because like, they shot the uh, Lee Sean Spears thing at that school earlier. So I don't think it is. I, mean, I, know, I think MJF is back in the Northeast, I think. I know that he moved out to Ohio for a while, but yeah. Well, MJF has also like been in weeks and weeks of their segments in Atlanta, but they might have shot all those in a matter of, you know, days, I guess. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I wasn't really sure where this was. We do think that they have a relationship with some wrestling school in the Atlanta area. Um, but interesting if they're setting up like their own little, you know, practice ring with big posters of Cody and Ric Flair on the walls. Anyway. All right, now we go to a Dark Order promo. This was a well-produced, nice-looking promo. Um, the 
Uh, we've got Evil Uno is the one talking. Oh, shit. I forgot the other one's name. Stu. Stu. Stu Grayson. Stu Grayson. Yeah. Evil uh, Dose. Yes. Now Stu Grayson. He took his mask off and now he's Stu mm-hmm. Grayson. Evil Uno is the larger one. He's uh, surrounded by their little masked creepers. Uh, and he cuts what I thought was a pretty good in character, you know, spooky dark guy promo here. Um, he says, you know, he references the fact that the crowd at Double or Nothing chanted, who are you with them? And he says, oh, you know, you, you know how quickly you forget. No one remembered us uh, talking about how basically they were at one time a super hot tag team in PWG, which is, is like the super major league version of. Um, but then they got banished from the country and now everyone has forgotten them. But they're going to make us remember. They say they are actually the best tag team in the world. The Young Bucks are lying. The Lucha Brothers are lying. Uh, and Helico and Jack Evans are lying. The best friends are lying. Uh, they want to prove that the Dark Order, their new name, is actually the best tag team in the world. And at this point, Stu Grayson takes his mask off. That's his creepy yell. Um, I still don't really like Stu Grayson's gear, but I really thought Evil Uno's presence with all these little weird guys crawling around him was was pretty great in this promo. I was kind of a little surprised. I liked this the first time I watched it because I saw it on Twitter, and then I saw it in the uh, whole, and I saw it in the whole episode of BTE. I think it's all right. I like. Super Smash Brothers, I saw them a long time ago in Chikara and in PWG and always thought they were really solid. You know, it's just there's just certain things about this that, you know, I get that they're doing this big change, especially with them now going heel, but it just didn't necessarily completely connect with me. But, I mean, it, I thought Uno cut a good promo, though. All right. Now we've got... Da, da, da. We're going back to Adam Page on the phone. Now we've got Kurt Hitting in the background. Uh, we see that he's also wrestling Jericho. Um, now he is trying to get Nick Jackson on the phone to clear up this mess about Book and Jungle Boy. And he says, oh, is there havoc happening over there? The phone's again breaking up. Nick hears havoc and decides to book him against Jimmy Havoc. Now we cut to pretty Peter Avalon. And he is approached by Brandon Cutler. They're reminiscing about how great Double or Nothing was. They both liked it. Um, Brandon asks Peter, hey, what was your part of the favorite part of the night? And Peter thinks... And reminisces back to when he did his little mirror gag, which we saw with Leva Bates on, I believe, last week's episode. Um, when we come back to reality, Brandon's like, Peter, Peter, what's going on? Tell me what your favorite part was. So uh, Peter whispers in his ear. And I, I, what Meltzer concluded, and I think it's a safe conclusion, is that uh, pretty, Peter, pretty Peter Avalon, the librarian, pretty Peter Avalon, has the hots for the other librarian, Leva Bates. All right, now we get a House of Glory logo, the hottest independent promotion in the country since WrestleMania weekend. They play the House of Glory theme song. Very, uh, very nice promo package here for the Hogasants. That's my name for the House of Glory Renaissance. <laughs> and I, type, I typed it and didn't really think about how I was going to pronounce that. Uh, the Young Bucks are announced for their big show, High Intensity 8. The Young Bucks were that promotion's first tag team champions, and now they're returning what they say may be their final independent date ever, August 9th in Queens. Um, everybody check out Hog. It's a it's a great, like local but you know, high quality independent promotion, I guess. It's like got a nice blend of local guys and, and top international not top talent. Um, and then we got to Matt Jackson, who is in Maui. And uh, everybody really did like take a vacation right after Double or Nothing, which uh, was kind of funny to me. And Matt Jackson plugs that day. He confirms they are wrestling and doing a signing on that show. All right. Now they uh, they run back the all out on sale package that they also ran on Double or Nothing. And then we get Cody, who is plugging the sale date. Um, and they talks about, you know, the previous on sale, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, issues or um, 
demand and they cut in a bunch of stampedes from like people shopping at black friday and you know running into a store to try and get tickets and stuff which was kind of cute but they also have like extremely spooky music on this segment which was uh just kind of weird like it was like a very uh foreboding video package here but he goes to repeat his mistake which he did at the double or nothing presser and guarantee that people will be able to get a ticket but brandy yells at him from the other room and says nope don't say that um this is uh, also like a very uh, enjoyable part of Brandy's character, I think, where, you know, in every other segment we see Cody is like the boss and Cody uh, is able to say how he feels and just be honest. But uh, here we see that Brandy can uh, also be honest to him. I, I think that Brandy has consistently been the MVP of being the elite. And this was just another example of it. She was great here. I mean, the rest of it, you know, I, I thought it was okay. But, you know, Brandy just chiming in saying, no, you're not promising that everyone get a ticket again that, that's burned us now twice before. I thought that was funny. Yes. All right. And now the BTE mailbag. Um, yet to have an interesting one of these, I think. We start with Christopher Daniels, uh, and somebody asks him when he realized that he gets to do this for a living. Uh, his, his story did not seem quite as positive as I think the question was intended. He talks about how in April or May of 1999, uh, he was working uh, in, in like a loading dock for Disney. And he had to take some time off so he could go to Puerto Rico and go on an international tour of Japan. And basically he got fired. And the guy's like, yeah, you can't, you, you can't take six months or six weeks off and then come back and still have your job here. Uh, so that's the point at which he uh, apparently realized or decided that he's just going to be a wrestler. Then we cut to Sammy Guevara in his uh, place that we've seen on his vlogs. He's got a wall full of Funko Pops. And somebody asks him, what's with the panda gimmick? And Sammy just says, well, it's my favorite animal. Pretty simple. And goes on to say that he likes to incorporate things that he actually likes into his wrestling because he thinks it makes it authentic. And I think that's a great policy. Easier to um, you know, uh, uh, live your wrestling character when you incorporate stuff about yourself in it. He talks about how his theme used to be a song from the movie Get Him to the Greek. Um, I, the, he used to enter the Fuzzy Walls also by the Infant Sorrow Band, which always made me laugh, and I found strangely good entrance music. Interesting that you say the place that we've seen in the Sammy Guevara vlogs. Got to think you're the only person who's probably ever watched a Sammy Guevara vlog. He, yeah. he has a fair amount of followers. We've okay. talked about them previously on the show. I'll take your word for it. Yes, I will also take he has, his word for it. He has, he has enough vlog fans that people show up to his signings and give him pallets of bang energy. I will listen to Talk is Jericho. I will not watch Sammy Guevara vlogs. I think that's a fair compromise. You do the Talk is Jericho, I'll do the uh, Sammy G vlogs. Yes, y'all do all the work. I'm good with this. Uh, <laughs> you, you do the editing of the show. <laughs> yes. All right, now we've got uh, Adam Page again. He's watching the Jericho versus Okada match. This is the point at which I figured out that he's studying for Chris Jericho. How about it? Um, and Nick, he gets Nick on the phone, and finally they sorted out that, no, he wanted to wrestle MJF all, all along. And Nick decides, oh, okay, well, we'll, we'll do a four-way. I booked all those other guys. Um, this was – so obviously this match comes out of the segment on Double or Nothing where MJF interrupted Adam Page and Bret Hart, and then Jimmy Havoc and Jungle Boy came out as the baby faces to run him off, to menace him and run him off, et cetera. And so they booked a four-way match here out of that segment, which like follows logically enough. And then they did all this extra work to make it like, oh, it was all a goofy mix-up, which I think kind of makes less sense. Like they kind of worked against themselves here. Dave had a fit about this segment on The Observer, and it's like he could not make sense of it. I, he pro it seems to have hated it. 
but it's also like one of those things where you can get, imagine Dave like gets in this perception about what he's seeing and like can't be nudged out of it. Um, but yeah, I, the 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 match makes sense standing on its own, kind of really, as much as a four way match ever makes sense standing on its own. So all this other goofy stuff about calling Nick and getting the phone mixed up, I don't I, I don't know. I didn't. It wasn't my favorite thing. Well, it's. It's kind of one of those things. I'm not going to defend it, really, but it's kind of one of those things where if you don't watch Being the Elite, but you watch Double or Nothing, this will kind of make sense. And then if you do watch Being the Elite, there's also this other explanation. So that's okay. I don't. I just hate multi-man matches. And I guess they're just trying to save Paige versus MJF, which is obviously a program they're going to do at some point. But there's got to be a more interesting way to do it. Yeah, I'm. I'm also morally opposed to multi-man matches unless – their elimination maybe um but yeah goofy in general but it's going to be a fact of this promotion so we'll have to learn to deal with it and hopefully they keep it relatively logical but yeah i mean i get you are right um doesn't hurt to have a different uh a, a different build for every part of your audience that you're playing to so i just thought it was um kind of goofy when we already knew the match and we already could logically see where it came out of I, however, will defend a multi-man match because they actually work well if you do it in a company that knows how to books them. Yes, Dragon Gate has been doing great multi-team matches for decades now. So I don't know if that means that these are going to be much great, but we'll see. Much great. That, that, <laughs> what was that? Spirit? It's late. Okay, let's get this over. Yeah, okay. Last uh, last thing. So Nick uh, hangs up the phone. He gets some weird mail. It's a disc in a Luchas envelope, which is literally an envelope with Luchas question mark written on it. Um, he puts it in the microwave, but that doesn't work. So he takes it out of the microwave and puts it in the instant pot, which does work, and turns on a video promo. We see Phoenix on the street and uh, on the phone. He's approached by Pentagon. They speak to each other in Spanish. You guys were there with me. I'm pretty sure this was the intersection right outside of the Houses of Glory venue in Queens. Yeah, I think this was Long Island City. Who fucking knows, man? All they showed us was the video the, playing the, on the laptop. Inside very, the cupboard. Very distinct uh, <laughs> overpass there. That we walked right by. Um, they had to show us the video. What are you talking about? Full screen. Oh, uh, I don't know. I was I very guess, cold and wet that day. So, yeah. Anyway, I'm, I think this was outside House of Glory. Um, but anyway, they talked and had a, a, a conversation with each other in Spanish. Uh, but Nick doesn't know what they said. So they don't tell us what he said. We probably should have found somebody who can tell us what they said. I'm going to add yeah. Lucha Blog. I'm going to add Cubs right now and see if he can. Um, but maybe it was about the mystery partner. I don't know. But uh, yeah. building been a good the, scoop the if mystery we partner match. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's all for me. Go, Aaron. I'm going to add Cubs here. Okay. Uh, I think that's everything that we're going to talk about. I want to quickly – we're a little over the time we wanted to do, so I'm going to do this quickly. But in a classic double E, formerly Everything Evolves uh, segment, I want to put over – a good friend of ours, Tiffany Caban. Uh, she is running for district attorney in Queens. Um, here's the thing about Tiffany. Basically what I want everyone to do. If you live in Queens, go help our friend Aaron Taub, who is on assignment. And his assignment right now is working on the Caban for Queens district attorney campaign. So if you live anywhere near there, go knock some doors with Aaron. If you don't, go to cabanforqueens.com slash donate. Send her five bucks, send her 10 bucks, because here's what she's going to do. Uh, now, keep in mind, there are like two point some million people in Queens. So this is a huge uh, community that she's going to hopefully be in charge of, uh, you know, prosecuting crimes there. And she's going to 
stop prosecuting uh, sex work. She's going to stop prosecuting recreational use of drugs. She's going to re uh, have people released from prison who are serving on crimes that she's no longer going to prosecute. She is going to uh, in cash bail there. She's going to uh, stop criminalizing poverty in Queens. Lots of good stuff. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, go to kabanforqueens.com slash donate, send her some bucks, help her and Aaron knock some doors and get people out to vote. That election's on June 25, so you're not going to hear me running on about this. I just hope that everyone will go give what you can and help uh, change Queens and impact a huge amount of people. That's like half the size of Kentucky. Yeah, I actually looked this up myself. It's half the, It's just over half the size of South Carolina. So if you, if you think by, oh, Queens, that's a borough. That's not that big. No, like this is about, I think, just about like half a percent of the United States lives in queens so that's insane that like that's it and tiffany could do a great job there i mean especially the whole idea about having a having a district attorney along the lines of uh i forget what the guy's name is in philadelphia who endorsed her yeah larry krasner larry krasner like the, these district attorneys that are being smart being smarter about things and and you know not punishing the uh not punishing the poor and you know decriminalizing decriminalizing sex work and drug crimes. I mean, it's essential to have a district attorney that is doing this nowadays. And if you want even more of a reason, Mario Cuomo is scared of her. <laughs> and that's right. And if it's, and that's something that, you know, outside of uh, New York politics, if, if the governor, like if the Cuomo's are scared of you, then you're probably doing the right thing from the left. So that's right. So uh, if we have to have district attorneys and prosecutors, Right. We ought to at least have ones who want to uh, focus on decarceration rather than throwing people in prison. She also talks about going after uh, shorter prison sentences, mm -hmm. which is huge. Uh, one of the biggest things that could be done and changing the uh, the what's the word I'm looking for? The threshold, threshold for even yeah. charging misdemeanors from probable cause to beyond a reasonable doubt. So lots of good stuff. Uh, worth dropping a few bones if you got them. Yeah, decarceration is so important. That's yeah, right. we uh, we stand until she's canceled or whatever. Um, just kidding. <laughs> uh, so no, that's absolutely points. true. <laughs> we will turn in a in a second. Um, uh, so I'm glad Mike admits that burrows are very real. That was good to hear. <laughs> and uh, Cubs, I was Cubs, being Cubs, the Cubs did get back to me. He said that. Penta said he found the perfect partner for the match, but he did not pick up a name or anything. So, yes, it's about their mystery partner for the upcoming six-man tag. Okay. Well, I think that's everything, guys. want to run down our, our plugs real quick. Uh, make sure you're following us on Twitter at EverythingAEW. You can find me at Aaron like the car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fujiheya. Uh, make sure that you are subscribing to the show. We drop usually every Thursday night. Uh, you can subscribe to our feed, Everything Elite. Search that on the podcast app of your choice. Or you can subscribe to the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. I think that's everything. So for Mike, for Nate, I'm Aaron. We'll see you next time. 